0: Perception. Perception. Is. is reality. Reality. Alright, thank you for joining me on this very special edition of Perception Is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbury. This episode will actually be broke into three separate parts. Episode 47D, as in Democrat. Episode 47L, as in Libertarian and episode 47-R, as in Republican. And as you can probably guess, we're going to be talking to candidates from the city of Muncie running for the office of mayor, Democrat candidate Terry Witt Bailey, Libertarian candidate Steve Smith, and Republican candidate Dan Reidenauer. These episodes will be broken up into three individual segments where you will be able to listen to just your specific candidate. But the hope is that you will listen to all three segments. That way you can compare and contrast what all three candidates have to say. Again, you're listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey and after this quick break we'll get into our candidate interviews. Now we go on the
1: record with a one-on-one interview designed to engage entertain or
0: enrage you. Perception is Reality on the record. All right. welcome back to this episode 47D. This particular interview will be with Democrat candidate Dr. Terry Witt-Bailey. She joins us on the phone. Dr. Bailey, it's good to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for all of you guys that are listening. This is my first time interviewing Dr. Bailey, and so we'll go ahead and get right into it. Let me ask you... Out of the three candidates, why are you the best choice for the voters of Muncie, Indiana?
1: That's a very good question, Mr. Bilbrey. And before I answer that, I do want to also say thank you to those people who are listening. It means a lot that you would you would tune in and, and listen to the responses that we're giving. Of the three candidates, why would I be the best candidate? I believe that I am the one that's best qualified. And the reason that I say that I'm best qualified is because I have had an opportunity to work in higher education, in leadership, uh, in nonprofit administration, in leadership, and city government in leadership. Um, I've had many, many opportunities to interact throughout our entire community on nonprofit boards. Um, I have three degrees, and I have also done some uh, graduate work at Harvard University in management development. And um, I believe that, again, I have more qualifications than the other two can- candidates. Um, I believe that I am able to speak to all people within our community, not just since the um, election time frame, but I've been doing that for the last 22 years that I have lived here in Muncie. So it's not new to me to be interacting with all of the people within our community. But um that would be that would be the reason. I am I'm the most qualified.
0: Very good. Thank you very much. Moving on, question number two. Okay. Obviously corruption is something that we've been talking about for quite some time in Muncie, Delaware County. And to me, it's got to where it's kind of been like a buzzword. It's rhetoric. I would like yes. to know as the mayor of Muncie, I would like to hear a few actionable plans that you would put in place to make Muncie better than where we're at right now, rather than just saying, I plan to fix the corruption and I'm going to do this. I would like to hear some tangible thoughts and ideas of something that you're going to do to make the city and make the community a better place to live, work, and play.
1: Yes. Well, I can say that the, the term corruption is not a new term that's been spoken about when we talk about Muncie. Um, I think as far back as 1913, Absolutely. there were issues on both sides of the party, mm-hmm. Democrat and Republican. Now, that doesn't speak for what's happening right now. And yes, there were some things that, that went on uh, in this uh, administration. And I will say that, you know, in a in a barrel of apples, if there's one bad apple, you need to take that apple out. And that has happened um but as far as as my administration it's very important to make sure that we strengthen our ethics and and enforce the policies that are already in place and so if we're not doing that then bad apples do do wrong things and bad apples do have issues and they 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 stain our entire community internally as well as externally so it's very important for us to have department heads and a mayor That's going to follow the policies and enforce those policies each and every day. It's very important even for our city council to do the things that they need to be doing to enforce policies so that we don't overspend. And so that they're following the resolutions and the ordinances that they're putting into place. So as as the mayor, I would want to make sure, again, that we're following the policies. Um, I would like to um, appoint a deputy mayor. And that person would help to make sure that internally within city government that people are following those policies. A mayor can't do it all, all the time. You know, can't be out in the community as well as in the office and overlooking or or overseeing all that's going on. So we need to have another person that can help us to be accountable as well as in the controller's office, a deputy controller. It's very important to have those checks and balances within um city government so yes it's 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 a a question that will be a daily issue because policies and procedures need to be followed um strengthening those ethics and and enforcing those policies that we should that we already have in place if we need to have additional ordinances or or um city codes in place in order to make sure that that people are following their the rules within city government then we will do those um, establishing the relationships with the city staff is going to also be important, and so that way we don't get in trouble, like like what has happened in the past. Um, so it really is just um, establishing the codes and and making sure that we have that we enforce the guidelines that are in place right now.
0: All right, very good. Thank you for that answer. And moving on, the position of deputy mayor and assistant or deputy controller. Those are positions that were cut. Quite some time back. And it's something that I have said at various points over the last four to eight years that some of this might not have happened, what's currently going on, had there been other eyes and other hands kind of in in place to be kind of a system of uh, of other checks and balances. Uh, So you bringing up the deputy mayor and uh, deputy or assistant or uh, controller Are those positions then that you would ask the city council to refund? Because I think currently and going into what would be your first term, you you would have to get an appropriation. I don't believe those places, those positions are currently funded. So is that something that you would ask your council for?
1: That is absolutely correct. Um, And I think that we have the rationale to prove why it's necessary. (laughs) Um there are deputy directors or assistant directors in some of the other offices and because those those positions are there, we've got the checks and balances. In my office specifically, we have an assistant director where we have to have two signatures on things and and um nothing just comes directly from me. Someone else is looking at the documentation that's within my office. And so I think even in the mayor's office, you know, you've got a mayor and a secretary. But I think there needs to be another level of accountability, and I think the people would want it. And so it's not just something that that I would want. I believe that the people of Muncie would fight with me to make sure that the city council uh, gets an appropriation for a position like that.
0: Yes, ma'am. Very good. All right. Something that has kind of been whispered about for a while within the community but Mm -hmm. has definitely come to a forefront here I would say specifically since June, July, Uh, the Muncie City Police Department, a wonderful Uh organization. Uh, I am definitely a fan and supporter of many, many wonderful men and women who wear the Muncie Police badge and and, uh, serve on the streets protecting and serving. However, there is also what some might call a culture of corruption on various levels within the police department. How, as mayor, will you work with your appointed chiefs of police and deputy chief of police to work on repairing this, removing, again, what would be considered the culture of corruption and repairing that relationship with the community?
1: I love the way you ask that question repairing the situation with the community. That's actually where it starts, because the community is telling us some things. And I think maybe we weren't listening. And because we're hearing it more and more, and now we've got um, official people coming into our community and saying, hey, we notice what's happening with your police department. And sometimes a culture of anything is something that may not be noticed because the people have been doing it for so long. That doesn't make it right, but it needs to be exposed. It needs to be addressed. And now it needs to be fixed. And I think that there are people, in fact, I know that there are people on our, our police department that want it to be fixed right now. They can't do that. But with a strong leader that, that wants to be supportive of that, that shift that needs to happen in the police department, I believe it can be done. I believe that we can, can save those people who are discouraged on our police force um, that are maybe afraid to speak up and, and help them to know that they're doing the right thing. Sometimes people are doing the wrong thing for so long, they don't even realize it's wrong anymore. Yeah. And now the people are saying, this is wrong and it has to stop. And so we've got to figure out going back to to dealing with enforcing the policies. If we're not enforcing the policies, then people are getting hurt, physically getting hurt, emotionally getting hurt. Our community is getting hurt. And so we've got to fix it. And I'm not a police officer. My grandfather was a police officer, but I'm not a police officer. So I don't know, you know, all the steps it is to, to be a police officer, but I do know how to treat people. And I believe that, that, there are some folks on the police force that that just maybe need some additional training or education or maybe they don't need to be on the police force anymore. Sure. Again, I, I haven't gotten that deep into the relationships with them because I need for the federal people to do their jobs first. And so I need to take a, a step back and let them do their jobs, just like you know, the FBI had to do their jobs with with some other people that are in city government. They are trained to do their jobs. Let's let them do their jobs and and then we will deal with, you know, what we think we know is, is, is actually happening. But I think it can be fixed. I think that, that um, again, with following the policies and, and doing what people have been asking all along, we can get this done and we can get it fixed and, and raise the morale of our police force again.
0: Very good. Very good. Hey folks, it's Christopher Bilbury here. I am breaking into this already previously recorded interview to let you know that the next question is about the budget that the mayor and the next city administration will be facing. This interview was recorded Sunday, October 6th before the Monday, October 7th city council meeting that lasted six hours and before the 2020 budget was not voted for. It did not pass at that city council meeting. So the question that you're getting ready to hear is asking candidate Bailey about that budget And she's talking about how she would go looking at that budget. I didn't cut this question because it is an interesting look at how she would have looked at that budget and how she looked at that budget. And she has a lot of other ideas that are beneficial for you, the voter, to listen to as she looks at budgets because... Whoever wins will be mayor for four years, so there will be other budgets they take a look at. But I just wanted to break in before this next question and tell you that. Now back with the Terry Whit Bailey interview. Moving forward, looking at the 2020 budget. Um, hmm We're going into a new administration, so this will be kind of a time either way. Whoever wins here in November, moving forward to January, will be taking over uh, kind of with a fresh start. And so that'll be the first budget that goes into that first four years. And so it's kind of important. Uh, You know, every year the budget's important, but specifically going forward here it is. Uh, I know that you've set through a lot of the financial, yes, the, the hearings, yeah. yeah, the all but one. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. What is your take on the budget situation and how you look at this going forward in your first year, if elected, and how you think that that's how you're going to interact within that budget?
1: Yes. That's a good question. Being a former nonprofit administrator, I am used to working with the slim budget, um, trying to figure out how to make ends meet, um, being the CEO at Cornerstone Center for the Arts and the Madam Walker Theater. Those are, you know, nonprofits are always trying to figure out how to make things work. And I, I do have to give credit to the finance committee for the hard work that they've done. Um, given the, the process that they went through, they got through the process, um, I kind of want to work backwards because I'd like to propose to the Finance Committee for 2020, for next year, for 2021, that we start working with a zero-based budget. Because then the department heads really have to look at what they need and they start from zero and they look at the specific things that they need for their departments what it's going to cost and put that in a budget. And we're going to come up with different numbers. And because we come up with different numbers, I think the budget is going to look very different. And so we've got to go from, a, I think, a zero-based budget. So that's for 2021. Sure. But as far as the the budget for 2020, oh, it's going to be tough. But again, I've been there. I've done that kind of thing before. We've got to work with the the who the new department heads will be to help them to know this is what the the city council has has developed for us. You know, this is what we've got to work with. However, um, I really would like to implement a um, a grant writer. We had one early on um, that was able to to provide some additional resources. Again, we can't always count on our grants, but there are some federal dollars, state dollars, and even local dollars that we need to tap into that we haven't done for the last two years. And that's our fault as a city. So as mayor, that's something I do very well. As mayor, I wouldn't be able to do that, but to hire someone to come in um, as a contract, or I don't know how, it probably would be a contracted person, To come in and find those resources, millions of dollars are on the tables for cities like ours to take advantage of, to help us with the fire department or the police department or with um, new staff people or programs that need to be um, developed in our community. So I think that there can be some additional dollars that can be brought to the table that hopefully the city council would approve that we would have to, to supplement this slim budget that we're working from, you know, we're not the only community that has had to cut our budget. Um, but just when we're in it, 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 you know, it's hard. It hurts. Sure. And I sat there and I listened to the cuts that were happening. And I thought, how are we going to do this? You know, how are we going to make sure that things are, are really going to be beneficial for our community? We've got to figure it out and we will figure it out. We will figure it out and, and we'll be fine.
0: Okay, very good. Let me ask you this. Right now within city government, we have a large amount of our elected officials, appointed officials, or city employees that are conducting business, city of Muncie business, in email form from their own private emails. They are not using the email system that is set up for the city government. For example, the city mayor, he has an email and he uses it. Other department heads use their city email. But for example, city council, the majority of the city councilors are using private email accounts. What would you try to do as mayor to work with the other elected officials and appointed officials, and city employees to put in place a policy, maybe an ordinance or a resolution, where all elected officials, all appointed officials, and all city employees are conducting city business through email that is provided by the city of Muncie rather than through private email email that they make up at home this presents a public record and a public access to those records problem or it could
1: wow that that's another good question you know that the first word that popped into my mind as you were sharing that question was transparency yeah so you know i again i don't know who the people are who are who aren't and, and i don't want to know that sure. but that's part of the responsibility of being a a city employee or someone who is an appointed or an elected official to have separate documentation, <laughs> separate ways of communicating. I personally have four emails, right. Um, I have one that's my personal email that I've had for twenty something years. I have my work email where I do all of my work stuff, city of Muncie. Dot com. I have a campaign email, and then I have the email where I buy stuff online. Mm-hmm. I wanna make sure stuff gets to, to that particular account. And I have to keep them separate. And it's very important that I keep them separate. Then I don't get confused. Sometimes if people send something to the wrong email, I'll respond. Please make sure you send it to this email, yeah. especially related to campaign, because it's important to keep those things separate. I think that that we would have to put a policy in place, and I would believe that groups like city council or commissioners, um, or you know people that are that are being appointed by the mayor, should have a separate account, and we could easily work with IT or IT department to make sure that those are separated um, for, for business. And I would think that people would want to do that so that they're separating the business from the personal, from the work. Sure. Um, That, that's a, that's one that just needs to happen again. I don't know who is not doing that, but to me it would, it would seem responsible to be able to, to have those separated um, for the business of the business,
0: <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's an
1: that's an easy one that I think needs to be fixed. Um, I think IT can make that happen. Um, I think that we need to follow that kind of policy when we're swearing people in. Um, that we tell them, "Here's your email account. Please use that yeah. for the business of whatever group you're in, whatever." Council or commission group that you're in so that we can keep those things separated and then and then monitor that
0: sure well and and here's here's the bottom line Uh, you know as well as I do that an elected official is an elected official and kind of is an entity unto themselves and there's nothing that says you know just saying John Doe's running for council and John Doe gets elected and says I'm not using that you can do what you want. There's nothing really that would permit. I don't see any kind of um, structure you could put, but if that was strongly encouraged, <laughs> well, well, yeah, but here's the deal. Then mm-hmm. at least the public would know, hey, this person's not doing what they're doing, and it would be up to the public to say, well, you know, in four years, psh, we're booting you out the door, and at least we would know, you know, hey, everyone's being told the same thing across the board. This person's specifically bucking the system. And, you know, we can handle that in the election, but mm-hmm. at least be everybody being on the same page, you know, would, yes. would make sense. I
1: would say, unless it was something that were. Confidential, like if the police are doing sure. some kind of investigation, sure. or if the attorneys are doing some client privilege stuff. Well, I would say other than that, it's public information. Sure, that's yeah. why we're elected and appointed to provide a service to the public.
0: But but e- even then, even if even if you've got detectives that are emailing back and forth on a on an ongoing investigation, mm-hmm. there are, there are failsafes in place that stop that stuff from being. You know, it, you know, I am I, I have the access counselor on speed dial and there, you know, he's very good at saying, well, that's not you know, you can't request that. That's crazy. Or or if you do uh-huh. request it, they're going to stop it right away. So there that stuff is in place. But if you've got somebody conducting city business on, you know, rocketman.com dot com, that's their home email account they've had <laughs> since high school. That's kind of not only does it is it a problem, but it almost is almost unprofessional. It is unprofessional. So,
1: right. Well, you know, I think that, that we're learning or at least I'm learning as, as I'm seeing things, that would be one, one thing that I think needs to happen. The other thing that um, I've been noticing and it's no fault of anybody, but city government, I'm going to say city government. And that is understanding Robert's rules of
0: order. Yes.
1: There are commissioners and council people and, and folks that we appoint to different boards, They don't know Roberts' rules of order. They don't understand parliamentary procedure. And so that's going to be an additional thing that, as mayor, I want to make sure is in place. We need to make sure that people are are equipped with that kind of information so that they can conduct business in a way that the people expect it. And so making sure that emails are done the right way, making sure that that reports or agendas or minutes or... uh, votes are done correctly we make assumptions that because we're appointing people or electing people that they understand how to do that and so in addition to making sure people are using the right email or they're filing their conflict of interest or they're trying to learn how to do robert's rules of order i think we need to help them with that absolutely instead of throwing them to the wolves and say here here's your position
0: go (laughs) right absolutely uh very good okay well uh moving on Um, You know, we're getting down to the wire close to the election. We're getting down to the wire on a couple key, uh, what I would call key decisions in the way of ordinances being brought before the council. I I imagine by the time that this is released and everyone's listening, at least part of this will have already been discussed. But. What is your? It seems like everybody's pretty been pretty good at sidestepping where they fall on fire based EMS. So just to clarify that for the record, I'm asking all three of you, where do you stand as candidate and if elected as mayor on city ran EMS? Sure,
1: I don't think that I've ever really sidestepped on it because, um, again, you know, I, I like to connect that to my own family. And um I've shared with some people and others may not know that my husband had two strokes in 2016 sure. and we've had to call 911 several times. He had the threat of a heart attack earlier this year, fell on a piece of glass he shouldn't have been trying to stand up anyway, um uh, because he's he's <laughs> paralyzed on one side. Oh, wow. So we've had our our share of calls to 911. And um we live close to fire station 5. And Fire Station 5 has always been here first, always, every time. Um, And so we know the importance of having someone close. Now, the fire-based EMS vehicles are not on this side of town. They're closer to where the, the railroad tracks are. I'm not going to argue with people about is this going to be safe or is this not going to be safe? I believe that people have turned this into a political issue. I also believe that it probably was not done as well as it should have been done. It's the how. I don't think that we kind of went through the right steps in the right ways. I don't think anything was done incorrectly. I just think it was kind of fudged through, kind of not in a way that, We typically see it. But at the end of the day, it's about saving lives and serving the people of our community. So I'm not going to argue with that. And we're going to find the dollars, which we have, to make sure that our people are safe and to make sure that our people are taken care of right away. What I did call um, the fire chief on Monday, which would have been their first day this past Mm -hmm. week, just to hear what he had to say. I called him about 9 o'clock. And um, at that time, he had heard there were 27 runs, but I heard later by the end of that night, there had been 40 runs. And I don't remember how many, I think maybe 20 of them resulted in um, rides to the hospital. And for a first day, I think that it was pretty smooth Again, I don't know all the details. I just know what the fire chief had shared. And so for me, that is satisfaction in knowing that people are being taken care of. Now, I don't believe that there are people that are going to lose their jobs. It's kind of like when we used to talk about technology, and when we got computers, all of these people were going to lose their jobs. And now we need even more people yeah. to help us with technology. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to, we're going to have all the people that we need. The county's going to have what they need. They're not going to have to make 20 minute trips to try to get across town if, if a local uh, vehicle is available. So if we look at it from the perspective of the people and the people who need the services, I think that we're winning. Everybody Absolutely. is winning.
0: Well, and, and more, or more important almost than waiting, you know, a long time for another, say, County, uh, ambulance to, to free. Right. Up. We're not waiting for Albany to come into the city of Muncie or Salem township, which is, which is Daleville to come in. You have, you have that. And then, you know, the, the thing is it's turned into a city versus County. And, and I, that's what I said. I absolutely stand with the employees of DC EMS. They are a yes, wonderful crew. Too. And, and if it gets to the point where their jobs are starting to be cut, I'll absolutely stand up with those people and, and, and fight for other situations in the county to maybe be cut before they cut them, because they do deserve their jobs. And one thing, I am I have spent time in law enforcement, and I can tell you this, that police calls, fire calls, EMS calls are not decreasing, they're increasing. And
1: And that's unfortunate. It's it's unfortunate that the numbers are going up because what that also says is that we we may have some health issues that we as a community need to deal with. So we might look at that. So if the numbers are going down in the county, they're probably going down in the city, but they're not. They are going up. And so we need to have these people available for our citizens. Well, and in I, fact, um in the on the off hours, um we use public transportation to transport my husband, and so when mits plus is not available, which is after hours yeah. and on Sundays, we actually use eaton e m s yep. because they're the ones that have the contract with mits in order to transport after hours on the weekends,
0: yep, this is going to be a good thing across the board, I think in six months, people will say. What that was ever an, an issue? You know, I think that <laughs> I, I think, think that's where, right. where we're gonna be. So time will tell on that. Well, very good. Another thing that has been brought up in many different communities, but it's recently been brought up in the city of Muncie because there are a couple of very important meetings that take care of the, or that are taken place during the day, meetings mm-hmm. and meeting times. What is your plan to work with your appointed boards, if elected, and to work with the city council and their appointed boards and committees to work to make meetings more accessible to the citizens? I know right now there are a couple boards and a couple meetings that meet during the day. And, you know, their excuses are, well, we have these meetings at 5 and 6 and 7 o'clock and nobody shows up. And so we have them in the middle of the day, and it does this, but you know, you can't plan for nobody to show up and then plan that and say, well, nobody showed up, so nobody showed you know, You have to make yourself available. As mm-hmm. a city government, even if it's a little inconvenient for you as the board or as the counselor, that's what you signed up for. So as mayor, what would you do to attempt to make these meetings and all meetings more accessible to citizens to attend?
1: Right. The key word um, I believe there is accessible and um, I should know the answer to this, but I don't, I don't know how many boards and commissions there are, but there are lots of yeah. boards and commissions and lots of other m- meetings that occur um, that maybe aren't called boards or commissions, maybe councils or advisory committees. Um, so there are quite a few of them. And so in looking at a calendar, it's going to be important to see what's available in the evenings to see what is needed to happen by a certain day or a certain time. There might be an ordinance that says something has to meet on a certain day. So it may need to be changed. Um, So I think it would be to look at what the, I hate to use the word more important because they're all important, but some of the more well-attended meetings that people want to be at, we want to make sure that those are accessible and available. people are available to come to those meetings. So those need to be in the evenings. And so when we run out of evenings and times and places to meet, then we probably do have to have some of them during the day. However, I think that it's going to be necessary and important to have those recorded. Right. Uh, we've gotten much better, I've noticed, in doing the live streams or, or having things recorded and put on our public access as well as on facebook live and maybe there's something else where they where they have things so it may be such that all of them can't meet in the evenings just because there aren't enough days and times sure to do that for example you know the finance committee met today yeah um because they ran they actually ran out of time and so sunday is not a typical day when we have meetings so i don't know that sunday would be a The right day or a Saturday. So in in looking at whatever these commissions or boards or appointed committees are, um, sometimes the staff that are a part of these groups um, are hourly staff. And so they would have to be paid to work in the evenings. And so that would constitute overtime unless we switch timeframes based on a meeting day. So there's a lot of variables in that. So I don't really have a a dedicated answer because it's going to depend um, and I think again, the people are going to help us to make those decisions um, as to what needs to be on you know, on an evening, what what can be during the day, and just be recorded. So yeah, we'll we'll have to look very closely at sure. that as we move ahead.
0: Okay, very good. It's got a few more questions here for okay. you. Okay. Um, kind of a tough question, but coming from inside the administration currently at play. How do you, as candidate Bailey? Separate yourself out from the current Tyler administration and I know that you're not running as, you know, a, a true Democrat Party Central Committee candidate. How do you what are you doing within your campaign and how are you letting people know, Hey, I am, you know, my own person, this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm running. What what are some <laughs> things that you're doing?
1: You actually answered the question pretty much, and that's great. Um, I am running as a true Democrat, so I don't want to get that twisted sure. with anybody. So I'm still a Democrat at the end of the day. But we made a decision early on to have our own headquarters for lots of reasons, lots of reasons. Um, we wanted to make sure that people understood that we were trying to separate ourselves from um, from the mess, from the... the um, the secrets that are going on and and the issues that that might be occurring. So we have our own headquarters at 425 North high street, and we love it. We, in fact, we call that place BQ. That's what we call it, BQ. And everyone is welcome in that space. You don't have to, you know, pay dues. You don't have to be a Democrat. You don't have to live in Muncie. You just come in and it's a welcoming space that's inclusive and diverse and accepting and and that's where we want people to be. You can be a student, you can be a senior citizen, whatever. And so we need for people to see that, yes, I work for city government. I have my own office on the third floor. I'm not in the mayor's office. We do the work that we do in the community development office. I believe we do our work extremely well in our office. And it's been very difficult, Chris. It's been very difficult. Um, one of my opponents earlier today, we had a, a forum earlier today, and he likened the the current city government as, a, as eggs. And he said, you know, if you have six eggs and one is a spoiled egg and you put it in and you mix it up, it's going to make for a bad omelet. Well, I stood up and I said, I'm not an egg. <laughs> I said, I would like to liken myself more like Apples. And when you have a bad apple in the bunch, there was a song that I think it was the Jackson Five saying, One bad apple don't spoil the whole bunch. So, yes, we had some bad apples in this administration that we can admit to. And those bad apples have been plucked out of the barrel and have been given a sentence and have been separated from those of us who were good apples. And so, if My opponents want to talk about clean slate. One of them is a city council member that's been elected. And so if it's a clean slate, then there are two of us out. I'm not an elected official. I've not been brought in by election. I've been brought in by appointment. And I've done my job. I've done it very well. I've not voted against things that, that have hurt us as a community. I haven't voted against turnout gear or voted against jobs and education I have tried to do what I think is best for my department, which is related to the city because I funded organizations throughout the city. So clean slate to me means everybody's (laughs) got to go, even the secretaries, (laughs) even the, the, the maintenance people, even all the police officers. That's what clean slate is. And so there is no clean slate, wiping out a clean slate, putting a woman in office, Putting a person who has experience, putting a person who has leadership experience, putting a person who's been beaten down because of all of this corruption talk, but still (laughs) stands back up and has become stronger because of it, is who you want in office. So clean slate means a woman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, very good. All right, I've got one last question and then I'll give you final thoughts. But something that has come up here recently about the uh, state board of accounts and the community yes. development the overages. What's your statement about what's going on and what we're seeing in the papers about this?
1: I am so glad you asked that question. I was trying to figure out how to how to how to bring <laughs> that in to the conversation. Um, I need to explain how federal dollars work and this, the Star Press didn't do it justice because they don't deal with it every day. When you receive federal dollars, and I had to learn this in 2012 when I came in, what happens is we don't, it's not like the community foundation when you apply for a grant and then they give you a letter that says, congratulations, we we're giving you $20,000 and here's your check. That's not what the federal government says. They give you a contract that says you're going to be entitled to a million dollars. Congratulations. And then what we do is we fund certain projects. So let's just say Boys and Girls Club or Bridges. And we have a, uh, a claim which happens every Wednesday in Board of Works at 9 o'clock. Say it's a claim for $1,000 that we want to give to Bridges. So the claim goes through, the city writes the check, and then we are in arrears because then we have to wait to draw down dollars from the federal government. And when they give it to us, they give it to us. So we're always working in the red. We are always being reimbursed. Every single week when you hear claims in the board of works, We're writing the check the very next day. Well, not we are, but the controller's office is writing the check the very next day on Thursday, which puts us in the red every Thursday. Because we don't have the money. The federal government has the money. And we work in a system that's called IDIS, that stands for Integrated Disbursement and Information System. IDIS, And that's a federal thing. So we do our all of our budgeting and all of our claims through IDIS because we're required by the federal government. The city uses a um, system that's called New World. New World and IDIS do not talk to each other at all. Not okay. one iota. So we do our claim. The city pays the check. Then The city draws the money or asks for the money. They ask the federal government, give us the thousand dollars. And then we wait for the federal government to to reimburse us the thousand dollars. So at the end of a year, which in this case was December, our fiscal year for community development is June 1st to May 31st. So there's no way that in December we don't have money. It's just never happened. I mean, we're in the red, but It's not. It's it's a strange thing. If someone were to look at that document that the Star Press was referring to, at the top of that page, it says controller's office. The finding was in the controller's office that the controller's office was overdrawn. And it's supposed to be overdrawn because the federal government hadn't given them the money back that they had spent. It's kind of hard to explain, sure. but that's the process. Every single week, it's not, you know, every once in a while, it's every single week. well, every single week we have claims, which is every week pretty much. So if we have a claim for any amount of dollars, the city writes the check and then we have to go to the federal government and say, "Hey, We wrote this check to this organization. Now we need our reimbursement. The same thing happens with the hardest hit funds, the Blight Elimination Program. Those dollars came from the Department of Treasury, another federal agency. They have the same process of reimbursement. And so the word overdrawn is the correct term, but it's the correct term because of the process and the way that it's being done. And I can't figure out a a quicker way or an easier way to explain it, but it's not something that is concerning to us because our office did what we were supposed to do. We submitted the claims, the information goes to the controller's office, and then they wait for the response. They wait for the reimbursement. So that information was shared as a finding of the controller's office, not community development. Sure our findings not in, in all transparency, we did have a finding, and our finding was about internal controls. They wanted to have two signatures on every document that that goes throughout our, our organization, but it wasn't the financial documents, it was monitoring. So if um, one of my staff members goes out and monitors and she signs it at the bottom, then they want me to initial at the bottom that I've seen everything that everybody's done. Okay, That's sure. pretty simple we fixed that. That was easy to fix.
0: Sure. Okay.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're good. It, it was a, it was a really hard thing to take. We've been trying to explain these, um, this process to everyone, um, so that they understand the process of federal funding. So sure. we don't get a big giant check and we spend it down. We get an allocation through a contract that we get drawdowns from the federal government as it's
0: being spent sure sure and that,
1: i hope that your listeners can understand that and if they have additional questions or would like to see some of our documentation i would be happy to share that with with anybody
0: sure absolutely very good very good well i appreciate you coming on with us and basically i leave this last little point here for you to give Any kind of last thoughts or your closing remarks or statements, anything that you would like the voters of Muncie to know?
1: Well, first of all, I do want to say thank you. I'm sorry that it's taken us so long to have this um, conversation. I think it's been very healthy and hopefully very informative to your listeners. Um, I really believe that I'm the proven leader of the three candidates that are running and I really believe that that I'm the one that can positively help change our community. Um I always call myself this half glass person, um, full, half glass full person. So that means I want to I want to find positive ways to interact, positive ways to make a change. Um, We have to think highly of ourselves and that will it attract people to come in. That will attract the businesses to come in. Um, we've got a lot going for us here in Muncie. And I think that we're just, you know, we're just feeling like we're kind of down. And so you need that leader that's going to be the advocate, going to be the cheerleader, going to make sure that, that people know it's going to be all right. And I believe that I'm that person. Um, again, I've had the experience in lots of different areas. Um, and and I just want people to know that, that you know, I'm going to make I'm going to make the City Hall people work for the people. Absolutely. So City Hall has to be for the people. And I think that maybe we have forgotten that a little bit, that we go in and we do our jobs and, and we're there for you. We're supposed to be working for you. Um, and you've enlisted us, elected us, appointed us to work for you. And that's what we're going to do. And I, I get excited about that and, and excited about the opportunity to help and, and to make a difference. And, and I believe that I can. I believe that, that I'll bring the right team of people to help make that difference. And I'll listen to the people, not just listen and dream with them and then go about and do whatever I want to do. No, it's important to make sure that we're making a difference and including the people in the process and in the decision making. We've seen it happen and we've seen the people help us to make the right decisions. We've got some smart people and some enthusiastic people and people that are committed to our community and we need to be better listeners and then we'll be better doers with the with the resources that we've been given. Absolutely. So again, thank you so much for the opportunity to share this evening.
0: Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you coming on uh, with me and talking to uh, myself and to everyone out here that's listening. Uh, let me ask you, in the weeks coming up to the election, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or wants to find you, how can you, how can they do that?
1: Fantastic. Um, again, our, our headquarters, BQ, is 425 North High Street, They're, uh, Suite 4. There's somebody there every day except Sunday. Somebody gets there by 11 o'clock. They can stop by, grab a yard sign, get some literature, sign up to assist us, to make phone calls, to do walking with us. Um, my email, uh, my my um, campaign email is Terry at, uh, not City of Muncie, <laughs> <laughs> Terry at Bailey for Muncie. Terry at Bailey for Muncie, and that's spelled T-E-R-R-Y, baileyofmuncie.com. Um, We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Um, I do a Bailey briefing every Wednesday at 530 different topics. Um, and anytime you want to reach out by phone, we have a voiceover IP number that's seven six five two zero five eight one seven one, And there's someone that answers it and make sure that I get all of those messages. Um, We've got a talent show that's coming up at the end of the month that we just want to do some friend raising on the 25th at Cornerstone Center for the Arts. We'll be doing some um, GOTV, get out the vote um, activities uh, coming up uh, the last weekend in October and the first weekend in November. Um, And we're just out and about. We'll be at the parade at Ball State and um, lots of other things. And I do a, a, a calling post message. Once or twice a week, and so if you want to be put on that calling post, send me a note through the phone call or, or email, and just let me know you want to be added to the calling post. I think we have about 300 people that I call once or twice a week.
0: Wow. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you for joining us for this uh, look and this interview with Dr. Terry Whit Bailey, Democrat candidate for mayor of Muncie in this current 2019 general election. I want to thank you for coming on with us and uh, good luck. And uh, if uh, you have anything else further you'd like to say later on down the road uh, or depending on how the election turns out, I'd definitely like to talk with you in the future and I hope we can stay in touch.
1: Thank you. I would say no matter what, I want to talk with you again and your listeners.
0: All right. Well, very good. That's going to do it for this 47-D episode. Interview with the Democrat candidate for mayor of Muncie, Dr. Terry Witt Bailey. Thank you for joining us. And please listen to the other two interviews. You've been listening to Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey.
1: This has been Perception is Reality with
0: Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.